Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The following podcast may contain explicit content, which is, I suspect, why many of you are tuning in in the first place. It's the Saturday show, this being Saturday and the show being the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Hello, Saturnalias, Saturinos. Sat patiently and waited for his soup, but it was cold. I'm, I'm now beginning to accept that there will not be a collective nickname for you who listen to the Saturday show. Anyway, what we like to do on the Saturday show is we play a couple of interviews or segments that have already aired. And usually the distinction between them is that one is from the past week and one is from the distant past, the Pleistocene era of the gist, season one. But no, we're going to do it a little different. We're going to give you something new that's a riff on something you heard this week. So the fa- it's so complicated. I'll get to it in a, in a moment. The second segment on the show will be the spiel from Thursday, where I took uh, an instance of Pete Buttigieg testifying, giving excellent testimony before a House subcommittee, and it was turned into nonsense. I believe I use a barnyard epitaph but not the one you were thinking of, not the bovine one, the equine one. But first, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the parts that we cut out of an interview that I did with Doug Farrar, who is a chronicler and wrote a book about Boot, Victor Boot, who might be, I don't know, they say, exchanged for Brittany Griner. And what I want to do is show you the care and attention that we give to these interviews and the respect we have for you, the listener. Because my producers, Joel and Corey, you know what they do? They cut out the stuff that goes on too long or the stuff that might be redundant. Or in this case, the stupid stuff I couldn't help myself from saying. And therefore, the original interview that you heard was relevant and on point as opposed to the digressions that I just insisted on taking that didn't work. So... I will uh, join you as a guide through my Doug Farah interview, which we will play first. And second will be that Pete Buttigieg testimony spiel. Let's get to the Doug Farah interview. So Doug was talking about boot and how one of the modes of transport that he used to get weapons to various insurgencies and warlords was a plane once owned by the Seattle Supersonics. Because there were a lot of strange people floating around West Africa in the diamond weapons world. But we were, you know, we had one aircraft unrelated to Victor Booth that had belonged to the Seattle Supersonics that was delivering air. And when we tracked the airplane, we're like, wow, okay, where did, (laughs) how did that happen, right? Um, So there were all so an interesting detail that, if you heard the original interview, was stated by the guest and uncommented upon by the host. But oh no, my did I have comments. Here now is some of the original back and forth that I had with Doug Farah. 
there were a lot of strange people floating around West Africa in the diamond weapons world. Like we were, you know, we there was one aircraft unrelated to Victor Booth that had belonged to the Seattle Supersonics that was delivering air. And when we tracked the airplane, we're like, wow, okay, where did, <laughs> how did that happen, right? Um, so there were all of these sort of fantastical things happening in a very murky and bizarre world. Uh, so we weren't sure, I wasn't sure initially, but then we, you know, it became clear that there was one guiding force on a lot of these weapons coming in. Can you assure me at this moment that Sean Kemp was not involved in the war in Liberia? As far as I know, no. <laughs> it had been sold a couple of times, but we did the tracking. It was, it was the Seattle, the, you know, we were like, really? <laughs> the Rain Man? Uh, Come yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was strange. Okay. So you could see, good choice to take that out, right? Didn't add much. But no, I could not help myself. And later in the interview, and you're going to hear comments that Farah made on the show that we played, I had to follow up this next statement by once again throwing us back to the realm of 90s power forward basketball. To, to no one's delight, but maybe you now after the fact. The longtime dictator Mobuto was getting all his weapons from Victor Boot while Boot was supplying the army that was about to overthrow him. And as the army that was overthrowing him swept into power, he flew out on a plane that belonged to Victor Boot. It was like, wow. You know? And when we asked people, like, why didn't you kill Victor Boot if he was supplying your enemy? And one guy said, and it was perfect, you don't kill the mailman. He was the person who could who could deliver and he could, the fact he was delivering to everybody, but he was also delivering to us. You know, you don't shoot the mailman, I thought. Well, there you go, right? Yeah. Now, not only power forward Sean, Sean Kemp, but Carl Malone implicated in the crimes of Victor Boot. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it's taken this turn, but I couldn't not go there. Anyway. And that was my interview with Douglas Farah, a good interview that I insisted on taking uh, on a weird NBA direction. Luckily, no references to Fennis Dembo were actually made in front of Mr. Farah. And now, here is Thursday's spiel. And now the spiel in which I want to play a few clips for a longer duration than I usually play clips. It's okay, because the critique I'm engaging in points a finger at distraction and the perverse incentives of media, partisanship, and yeah, our own dopamine-chasing brains. So first, here's a statement Joe Biden made in April. The occasion was Katanji Brown-Jackson having just been confirmed to the Supreme Court. It's 50 seconds. Afterwards, I'll ask you if your reaction matched mine. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the, foot, uh, foot, foot, excuse me, in the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with them. I guess we traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. And uh, we were sitting alone. I had an interpreter and he had an interpreter. And he looked at me in all seriousness. He said, can you define America for me? And I said what many of you heard me say for a long time. I said, yes, I can. In one word, possibilities. Possibilities. That in America, everyone should be able to go as far as their hard work and God-given talent will take them. And possibilities, we're the only ones, that's why we're viewed as the ugly Americans. We think anything's possible. 
So you know on the show I've been critical of Joe Biden's declining rhetorical skills, but what I heard wasn't bad. He stumbled for a moment, but got his point across, had some imagery, some name dropping, a little humor. If you're a denizen, if you're a denizen of a certain corner of our culture, however, that is not how you heard it, or that is not even what you heard. You heard the clip played right up to the part where he got tongue-tied saying the foothills of the Himalayas. This seems the sort of stumble attributable to a stutter, but even if not, he quickly recovered. Unless it wasn't in your interest to know or to hear it that way, then you just saw the stumble over and over and over again. All right, you're saying, okay, negative partisanship is such that there is a market for that. Some people are just going to hate on Joe Biden. The problem is some people are in the U.S. Congress. So on Tuesday, Pete Buttigieg was testifying before a House subcommittee on the subject, implementing the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. That's when Troy Nels, Republican of Texas, pounced. He asked Buttigieg hours into discussion of mileage and rebates, the power grid, catalytic converters. He asked him what would be the one word that he'd use to describe America. Buttigieg said, home. Fair enough, said the congressman, then followed it up with this. This is how President Biden described America in one word. Nels produced a blow up of an alphabetic approximation of Biden's stumble that I played for you. The White House transcript captured it as I was in the foot hit dash foot dash, excuse me, in the foothills of the Himalayas. Congressman Nels's large sign held behind him by a staffer rendered the truly inconsequential stumble as a 34-letter-long nonsense garble. Nels then proceeded with other charges. He shakes hands with ghosts and imaginary people. He falls off bicycles. Even at the White House Easter celebration, the Easter Bunny had to guide him back into his safe place. All of these were accompanied by young staffers holding up blown up pictures. One of the president at the Easter egg roll. The other of Biden having turned the wrong direction after a speech. Should we be invoking the 25th Amendment? Nels asked Buttigieg. No. Buttigieg answered when he could get a word in. And he added, the question's insulting and the president is vigorous and extremely engaged. Okay. So a foolish attention-seeking question easily batted away. Let's move on. Sigh, but move on. Just as Biden's tiny three-month-old slip meant nothing, so should have Nels's attack. It's not how it played out. The exchange, really, the charge, was widely covered. Not just everywhere on the right, but also in the Washington Post, USA Today, People Magazine. And I'm not against any event that actually happened being reported on, but when I tell you it was the only thing reported on, That is something I'm against. This hearing, you see, was actually an excellent example of how a congressional hearing should work, which isn't the brilliant secretary who had an agenda I support, goes in, lays out his unassailable reasons. Everyone says, you're right, you're smart. No, not that at all. I just ask you to note how Nell's fellow Republicans questioned Buttigieg testy at times, but on the issues actually pertinent to the very important subject of transitioning our entire auto fleet. Here was Kentucky Republican Thomas Massey. This clip runs about a minute. An American household would use 25 times as much electricity for their electric cars they would for their refrigerator. 
Do you think it would strain the grid if everybody plugged in 25 refrigerators in every household? Well, if we didn't make any upgrades to the grid, sure. I mean, if we had yesterday's grid with tomorrow's cars, it's not going to work. It's one of the reasons why we believe that infrastructure includes electrical infrastructure and argued for that to be included, as it thankfully was in the bipartisan law. Do you, do you think by 2030, which is when Biden says 50% of uh, cars sold should be electric, do you think the grid will be capable of handling electric cars? It's going to need to be, and we're working with the Department of Energy every day. We've established a joint office of energy and transportation to map out some of the needs. Obviously, some of this gets outside of my lane, and we've been discussing with, uh, for example, the truck stops that are uh, looking at what their Buttigieg's answers got a little detailed, but good. It was productive. No one got owned in that exchange. Massey, who graduated from MIT with a degree in electrical engineering, wasn't placated. He expressed pessimism that the grid could ever be upgraded to that degree. But he couldn't have asked for a better back and forth with real substance. Other Republicans were even more critical of Buttigieg in areas less nitty gritty than the grid. Here was Republican Carlos Jimenez of Florida. Again, it's a little under one minute clip. It begins with Jimenez asking Buttigieg about calculating when the price of a gas powered car would be the same as an electric powered vehicle. To break even. And then, by the way, have you figured in the 10 year lifespan of a battery that you have to change? So if you have 100. Yes, we have. I mean, the, the okay. estimates that are showing that this is reaching parity and pointing toward a savings depending on the model, do account for things like that. But, but you would agree that the higher the, ga- the price of gas, then the, the faster you reach that parity. Of course, the more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. It's why we're hoping you and your colleagues might reconsider opposing the reduction of EV upfront prices with tax credits. So, so you're, you're saying the more pain we have, the more benefit we're going to get. Of course. Now, I no. think that's what I heard you say. Right? You said the more pain that we <laughs> no, have. That's, that's what you heard yeah, me say. That's what I heard you say. I know you the want me to say it have. so bad, but, but okay. uh, honestly, sir, what we're saying is that we could have no pain at all by making EVs cheaper for everybody, and we'd love to have your support on that. Not a softball, not patty cake. Jimenez went with him with a good attempt at a gotcha. Buttigieg parried, but it's all relevant to the question at hand. Good answers to tough questions. It's a model for how two opposing sides of an argument should engage. No one there threw the agenda out the window or presented big dumb pictures for the audience. You know, the, the people that ain't too good at understanding arguments without a picture. No one tossed aside the very purpose of the hearing and no one else got coverage. Just Nels and his pictures. The Washington Post and USA Today covered exactly one question from the hearings, and it was, is the president addle-brained? I'm not saying the committee was the epitome of political functionality, but it was constructive. It regarded a legitimate debate, and the debate's about how much public funds should be given to subsidize an industry that's fairly successful, absent subsidization. This is what we should be talking about. The debate was enjoined. The system worked fairly well. And by system, I I don't just mean the political system. There represented was industry addressing a market need, American innovation coming into play to work with the government to solve a hugely important problem, not bad. But instead, what we get is some horseshit over Joe Biden misstating a word and an Easter Bunny visual. You know, when we look at the insurrection of January 6th and worry about radical elements within our country... It's warranted. It's warranted to worry. When we further note that later that day, 138 House Republicans still voted to decertify the Pennsylvania vote, 
that says something extremely troubling about the system as a whole. It's right to be concerned. But when there's a hearing that works and 99% of the participants and observers leave more edified than when it started, but it's still portrayed as empty theatrical combat, that is terrible. And that is terribly unfair. I mean, what's the theory? That everything we ever talk about will be just angry, ridiculous nonsense that gets us nowhere, but also that we know underneath there will be progress and substance. We'll just never mention any of that. And still, things will work out. But I'm not sure they will. One sign that America is falling apart is that the only stories we ever tell are of America falling apart. We just don't want to tell the other stories. I think we want to hear them, but it's hard to know the stories even exist. So if I had to describe America in one word, I would have once said resilient, progressing. If you indulge me with some hyphens up to the challenge. Now I have a different answer. Distracted. That's it for this, the Saturday show. Thank you, Corey and Joel for producing this and for making all those wise trims that you do throughout the week and for every interview. I'll talk to you Monday.